Amen. My name is Steve Blummer. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. Thank you for joining us this morning, including my own parents who are here somewhere from Iowa. There they are. Glad to have them here. We're going to be wrapping up our five-week series through 1 Thessalonians today. We're also going to be wrapping up hearing from me. It's the last time you're going to hear from me this summer. And uh, for the rest of the summer, while Neil is away, we're going to still have some great speakers, including Joel Gray, a missionary that we've supported for a very long time, who's spoken here before. We're also going to have Logan Loveday, who's a church planner out of Marlboro. We're going to have uh, Andy Haynes, who's the collegiate leader at the Baptist Convention of New England. Also, George Cole, who helps churches in transition. He's been pastoring for over 30 years, including a couple of years here. And so I hope that you would love on them and listen to them as much as you've listened to Neil and myself. One of the worries that pastors have as they take sabbaticals, and especially during the summer, is that people will uh, be away more than just on vacation or for health reasons. And it's not because we're concerned about the tithes and offerings so that we can pay for the building and the ministries. It's definitely something to think about, but we do worry about how people are doing spiritually and emotionally. You know, we as pastors, we may be a unique set of people who are personally invested in those that we serve. You can have a deep level of uh, concern for your customers or your clients, but ministry takes a deep level of connection. Our work is closely tied with our friends, our home, our community, You can leave your job and not necessarily leave your friends or your home. Sometimes work causes you to to move and and kind of turns your world upside down. And and I know that's tough. I've been there, uh, left a place of previous ministry about eight years ago. And it really is crazy to think that an average stay for a pastor is about four to six years. Having consistent leadership in the church is quite healthy for a church. And so we should be very grateful for Pastor Neil, as well as Pastor Ken, who have been here for 15 plus years. When we look at the beginning church area with the original apostles, Peter, James, John, and Matthew, and with Paul, Silas, Timothy, Barnabas, John, Mark, and a host of other leaders who stepped up to the call of God, ministry leadership didn't have yet the time to develop long-tenured pastors as they were working hard to get to the next town because there was no churches anywhere. They had a set of small believers, and then they would teach them some basics. They would elect the leaders, and then they would go down the road sharing the gospel. We always see them keeping in touch with those that they could, either writing them or visiting them on their rounds. And that's what we see in 1 Thessalonians. We've talked about how this church in Thessalonica started after Paul received a vision while he was in modern-day Turkey to go across the sea and to share the gospel into Macedonia up into Europe. We've talked about how Paul and others were only in a a town for a few weeks or a few months on average. And they, of course, love these people dearly. We've seen that before, and we're going to see more of that today. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to leave these people, they were really worried about their spiritual well-beings. We, of course, heard how this church is doing quite well in many different areas without their founding leaders. We've already seen how Paul had applauded their work of faith, their labor of love. He had encouraged them in their sanctification. And today he applauds and encourages them in their endurance of hope. 
Endurance of hope. Those are two huge words. Endurance. You can see on your bulletin, I've defined it as the capacity to stay with something under difficult circumstances until you reach the finish line. Endurance. The capacity to stay with something under difficult circumstances until you reach the finish line. And then hope. Believing and expecting good even when you can't see it. Believing and expecting good, even when you can't see it. How do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we be resilient? But not only just make sure that we make it to the end, but how do we do so with hope and anticipation and expecting good, even when we can't see it? And that's what we're going to learn today. So if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 17, read a little bit through chapter 3, and then later we're going to hop to the end of the book in chapter 5, and by the end of the series we would have read every verse in 1 Thessalonians, just not consecutively. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, chapter 2, thank you, verse 17. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed or destined to this, In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution, and as you know it, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love and that you always have good memories of us, wanting to see us as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience because of you before our God? as we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. There's a couple of things that jumped out to me through this passage, and one is that difficult times will come, so we have to be prepared. And two, the face of our church will change, but the church must continue to be the church. So let's look at that first one. Difficult times will come, so we need to be prepared. 
In chapter 3, we see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were worried and frightened that these people uh, were not ready to deal with the difficult attacks that they would receive for accepting Christ or living a life that they've commanded them to live according to God's design or for them speaking up about God's truth. In chapter 3, their hope was that they were not shaken by these persecutions. Now, the word shaken there is translated in other versions as to be moved or to be disturbed. The original Greek has the sense of a dog wagging its tail. If you have a dog, you know how easily excited or swayed or easily drawn away that dog can be, right? Squirrel. The fear would be that these people would be all over the place just following whatever sounded to be good. It could also describe those who had just given up because the pressures were so emotionally disturbing. There's only so much that a person can handle before it's just too much, especially if they're not used to dealing with these type of persecutions. Paul reminded them how he had told them and warned them that they would experience these pressures and attack. They were destined for them to happen. Jesus told his disciples, which he tells us as an encouragement right before his death, that we will experience tough times. There would be those who would even persecute and kill Christians because they think that they're doing God a favor. But Jesus also kept telling them not to lose heart, not to be troubled, not to be fearful, but to remember that he told them these things would happen. And if they happen, then his word is true. His word is true also that he would return again where he would turn their sorrow into joy. Expect difficult times. We're not to be inviting nor purposely trying to stir up trouble. It has a way of finding us no matter as we speak the truth with love, grace, and gentleness. We have to know and expect that difficult times will come. Endurance is required. As we mentioned in the week one, we know that Jesus is not returning until there's a great tribulation, a great time of turmoil that the world has not yet experienced. Expect difficult times. Not only are we expecting outside attacks, but Paul says we need to expect attacks from within. In verse 5, it talks about how they were fearful that the church was tempted by the tempter, and Satan even hindered them from meeting them. Perhaps there's temptation to not believe what they had first learned from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Perhaps the temptation is not to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior for their sins. Maybe it was not to believe the commands that they were taught and how to live their life according to God's design. Perhaps the temptation was just to give up altogether. Perhaps the temptation was to think Jesus isn't returning. Maybe to think that God doesn't care. Maybe to think that it doesn't matter how you live your life. Just live however you want. Watch out for temptation. Satan wants nothing more than to trip you up so that you would give up. You know, it brings the devil much satisfaction to not only get a believer to question God, but to have them be completely inactive or even outspoken against the church or outspoken against God or outspoken against another believer. And so it's all the more reason that you and I need to be aware and to stay firm in the Lord. We're going to get spiritually punched, slapped, poked, kicked, tripped, pushed back, anything to get us from not only walking with the Lord, but not to have us even get on our knees and pray. We need to learn how to endure. 
how to have hope. It's something that I've had to learn just a few times in my young life. As many of you know, I've shared my own story before where my first part-time church staff position didn't seem to end very well. I was right out of seminary. I was young. I was serving with other young leaders, unexperienced, became stressed out, unprepared about how personalities, preferences, and philosophies of ministries would get me to a place where I stepped away, and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do full-time vocational ministry. But I knew that my family and I needed to still be connected to church, and I sought after God in those moments. I read stories in the Bible like Elisha, who dug ditches in the desert during the drought because he expected God to send the rain. Endurance and hope. Think about that. Digging ditches in the desert during the drought because you anticipated God was going to send the rain. Read stories like Elijah, who was scared and discouraged. He was doing great things for God, and he got discouraged and ran away, depressed, discouraged. But God showed up and met him, provided for him, and then gave him another mission to work on. Endurance. Hope. There's great prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who God had sent out, and they endured lots of hardships, being thrown into prison because people just didn't want to hear the truth of God's word. They learned endurance and hope. It's what brought me to understand grief just a bit and spurred me to teach a class about grief. And it's been a couple of years, and I know it's been requested, so I'm going to be doing that again in the fall. It helped me learn that God can take our pain and turn it into a purpose. It helped me gain a little bit of insight about how endurance works, to stay with it under difficult circumstances until you reach the finish line. And to put that with hope, believing and expecting good even when you can't see it. We've got to be on guard of those difficult times coming. Because they've come and they will continue to come. Two, something jumped out at me is the face of the church will change, but the church must continue to be the church. Paul, Silas, and Timothy could no longer stay at this church in Thessalonica. Paul had no choice but to leave. They were kicked out. But they had to rely on God that what they had taught them would soak in enough for them to endure. They, of course, were relieved and filled with joy. Then they found out this church was doing quite well. There, of course, was this inner struggle where they want to see them again and they want to see them and come together. And I think that's what you and I hope churches be like when we come to church. We don't want it just to be a place where we come and sing and, and hear God's word and go out. We want this to be a place where we can find friends. We gather to, together as friends. We share common struggles in life together. We pray for one another. We show up to a house to bring a meal, to hold a baby, to mow a grass, or to plow the snow, to, to fix a leak, to borrow a tool, to help people move, maybe to hold their hand and just to hear their grief, to go have fun and go bowling together, to move frozen turkeys and bags of potato at a local mission. We do all these things because we want to do things in relationships. You begin to know people's names, their pets' names. People become more than just a face in the crowd. And there's nothing wrong with the crowd, but God invites us to have a personal connection with those within the church. And this is something that you're going to have to do over and over and over within the church because new people will join in and your previous friends may move away or be disconnected. This church at Thessalonica knew that they couldn't just sit around and wait for Paul and Silas and Timothy to, to come back. 
They knew they had to step up and fill the gap to make sure that the church remained to be the church and that each other continued to be the church. I was talking to a missionary friend about the struggle to make friends. Making friends takes time. It takes those opportunities to build trust with one another. And it seems like the moment you make good friends, something happens, right? I was thinking back. My youth pastor left when I was a junior in high school. Very influential in my life of leading me into ministry. The lead pastor of the church that I attended in college, he retired when I was there. My wife and I made some good friends in college, Mike and Michelle Gibson. They moved to Arizona, and we moved to Massachusetts. The lead pastor of the church we were involved with when we moved here, he left to go pastor in Ohio. That church eventually merges with another church and dissolves. I come here, and a few months later, the part-time children's director moves to Texas to do ministry there. A year or so later, as I come on staff, the associate leader leaves to do ministry around New England. I'm getting a complex here. <laughs> I'm beginning to think maybe it's me. I'm bad luck. And believe me, that the tempter whispers those things in your ear, those toxic words, right? It's you. He does to every church leader and a pastor. So I encourage you to pray for us. It can get discouraging and exhausting to see the church change faces. And you look around and you say, where are all my friends? What happened to my church? This is your church. Look next to you, behind you, in front of you. There are your friends. You may have to make some new friends, and today would be a great opportunity to do that during our picnic. And the average church changes at least 5% naturally every year. There's new people accepting Christ. They connect with the church. Some people will come from another church. Some people will move away for work. Some people will disconnect for health reasons and even death. So it's quite possibly within 10 years that this church will change 50% easily. It's also interesting to note that a church will see significant changes in the way that it does ministry and the ministry opportunities that it offers every 10, definitely every 20 years. How many of you were in the church in the 50s? In the church in the 70s, church in the 90s, the church in the 50s is different than the church in the 70s. The church in the 70s is different than the church in the 90s. The church in the 90s is different than the church today. I mean, in the 80s, every church probably had a church choir. Now hardly any church has a church choir. Nearly every church, as I remember, had a Sunday night service, a midweek service, a, an Awana club for kids. Now hardly any church has a service on a Sunday night or let alone in the middle of the week and a Bible club for kids. Nearly every church had people who wore suits and ties and dressed up. And here we are <laughs> in Hawaiian shirts and shorts. What's going on with church? But that doesn't mean the church has stopped being the church. It doesn't mean that we've watered down the gospel message. It's something that every church has to pay attention to and make sure that we don't. But you know the church is more innovative and creative in getting the gospel out than ever before. 
We're using non-traditional means like businesses to get the gospel into countries where you can't just walk in and evangelize. YouTube, Facebook. I mean, if you're watching on Facebook Live, this didn't exist 10 years ago. Phone apps, radio, whatever it takes. They say that the church is more diverse than ever before, although we've got a long way to go. Church plants are thriving more than in recent history. We see that here in New England. Way more options to go to church than there were 10 years ago. And there's a lot of negative to focus on in each era of church ministry for sure. Maybe it's because the church is typically slow to change. We're slow to accept change. We're slow to address issues. But if the church wants to continue to be a healthy church, to be a place where we see a new generation of people accept Christ and to fall in love with Him, then we have to be comfortable and to welcome the changing face of the church. Well, that brings us to the end of the letter where Paul, Silas, and Timothy summarize and conclude. He gives kind of a bullet point list. Here are the things you need to do before Christ returns. So if you would jump over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, we're going to be reading in verse 14 through the end of the book. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are lazy or irresponsible. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursues what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you as faithful will also will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, each of those could be a 30-minute message. But I know you're getting hungry. I know you want to fellowship with one another. But let's break it down just a little bit. Warn those who are irresponsible, those who are idle, those who are disruptive. It goes back to chapter 4 where he says that we're to lead a quiet life, to work with our own hands, to mind our own business. We're to comfort the discouraged, to help and support the weak, and to be patient with everyone. Now, every church is going to have a mix of these types of people, and so it's important for us to identify them and to know what we need to do with each category. We don't want to mix the groupings up. For example, for those who are irresponsible, those who are unruly, those who are divisive, we're not to comfort and to coddle them. We're to be firm, to warn them, 
to lovingly confront, to tell them what they're doing is wrong. We do so with a spirit of restoration and understanding. We don't approach them and say, you got to get out. We provide comfort and help where there is a need. But as we talk, these people aren't necessarily in need. They're just idle, irresponsible. They complain and point out people's problems, and that just needs to stop. We're to comfort the discouraged. It's important not to warn or rebuke those who are discouraged. They're already discouraged. They don't need your help. They don't need you to offer advice unless advice is what they want. We don't always need to share Scripture with them. Scripture is good. What they need is someone to console and to calm them during their times of grief, during their times of stress or in pain. It often involves less talking, more listening, and just being present. We're to help or support the weak. These are those who are physically frail and feeble, those who are sick and maybe they just can't do a lot for themselves at the moment. Again, these people don't need a rebuking. They don't need a warning. They do need comfort, but more than comfort, they need actual support. They don't just need prayer. They need prayer and for you to show up and do something. These are those service opportunities like bringing a meal or mowing the grass or changing the oil in the car, helping them move. There's a lot of ways to help those who just physically can't do something for themselves at the moment. And then there's lessons that are good for everyone. Be at peace with everyone. Easier said than done, right? But we need one another to help each other to not respond negatively to a negative person or situation. Don't respond evil for evil. We need one another to help think through situations and solutions so that both sides are not heard if possible. We often need an outside perspective to guide us in those discussions because we're often so frustrated that we can't see clearly. We see things through a bent lens. I can't believe what they said. Well, they didn't really say it like that. We need each other to keep focused on love and grace and truth. And then 16 through 22 talk about our spiritual walk. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. This is like a daily check mark, a list. How am I doing? Rejoice always. Hey, not too bad. I went to church and we sang. Check. Pray constantly. I prayed for my breakfast. That's pretty good. Check mark. Give thanks in everything. I don't know about that one. Half a check. I'll work on it the rest of the day. Don't stifle the spirit. Are we listening and looking for the Holy Spirit to guide us? Or are we just so busy in what has to be done every day? Do we hear the Spirit impress upon us to do something or to say to somebody else, and we're just ignoring it? Don't stifle the Spirit. I think Paul is sensitive to this because the whole reason that Paul is here planning this church is because the Holy Spirit prevented him from going to where he wanted to go and gave him a vision to bring the gospel over to Macedonia. Paul would have completely missed out if he ignored God's leading. He would not have the privilege to see people give their lives over to God and to see this church flourish, to see these people who responded to the message in Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Berea, Athens, and later into Rome if he was not in tune to what the Holy Spirit was doing. 
You and I, we have a way of just going about our day every day of, and, and not really asking God, what is it that you want me to do? And maybe that contributes to a reason why we're not enduring or enduring with hope because we're not even asking God, what is it that you want me to do? Would you even be brave enough to ask? Or are you afraid that God's going to ask you to do something so life-altering that you don't want to say no to God so you just don't ask? Maybe you're quick to rationalize. That's not possible. That's not what God wants me to do. I'm tired. I'm too busy. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough money for that. Whatever it is that God wants you to do. The thing is, God knows you. God knows you. He knows your limitations. He he knows your schedule. He knows what's in your bank account. God knows all of these things when he presses upon you. I want you to do something. I want you to say something. It's that do we have faith enough to believe that what God wants us to do will be good for us and somebody else? Hope. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't count the spirit out before we've even given him a chance. Then he talks about prophecies. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Welcome them, receive them, but test them. Don't just accept them because someone says, I got a word from the Lord from you. Sometimes I hear people say, I feel like God's wanting me to say something to you. And I'll be honest, sometimes I say, I don't know if it's God or maybe it's just you. You always like to share advice and share your own situations and circumstances. How do we know that it's from God and not just your desire to talk? Paul says, listen to the word and then test it. You should be able to verify it according to God's word. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you will confirm it to your spirit, whether it's true or not. There's There's discernment. Prophecies were more about encouraging words than future predictions. Prophecies were more about warning against something that's true in God's word. So we can test what is said to be true or not. And then we don't ignore it. If someone says something to you and then you verify it in the scriptures and and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, it's true, don't ignore it. Receive it and follow it. And then I like Paul's simplicity. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every form of evil. Do good, don't do bad. End of story. It's pretty easy to do, right? It's kind of like when I leave for work or my wife and I go on a date, we say to the kids, be good. Don't do something stupid. Listen to the person's in charge. Have a good time. See you later. Right? That's what Paul's saying here. Do good. Don't do bad. All right? If you don't know what else to do, just do good. Don't do bad. And then he closes it with his big summary in 23 through 28. And he says, pray also for us. So pray for your pastors. Pray for your spiritual leaders, for the elders and the deacons in this church. Pray for other pastors and other churches in the region. Pray for other Christians around this nation to be united under Christ rather than be divided like the world who doesn't know God. I know some of us are not looking forward to 2020. So pray for believers around the world. There are some who are meeting in secret for fear of persecution. 
There are some who are Christ followers, but they have no idea whether there's another Christ follower around them. They watched something on YouTube and gave their life to Christ. Or God met them in a vision. They accepted Christ. And if, if they talk about it, they're going to lose their home, their work, their family. And they don't even know whether there's another one around them. So pray for them. And then it says to welcome each other, to embrace each other with a holy kiss. That's to, to love on one another. We've got to keep it PG. Church has gotten in trouble before that. But to embrace and to welcome one another. There's a lot of things that you and I need to be doing in light of Christ's return. Are we focused on the things for eternity? Are we focused on enduring? Are we focused on enduring with hope? That's the challenge. So let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your insight into what's going to happen, that Jesus Christ is returning again. That everything on this earth is, is not all there is to look forward to. We can look forward to you returning and to spending eternity with you. But God, there's things that we need to be doing while we're here on earth. There's some hard things to be doing. Things that take work, like sharing our faith, working on our faith, growing in our knowledge of you, loving on one another here within the church, to be available to help those who are in need, to comfort the discouraged. And so God, we need your help to be reminded of what it is that we need to do to continually seek your word, to, see, to seek your discernment over what it is that we need to do. God, may we be bold enough to ask you every day, what is it that you want us to do so that we can follow your leading and we can experience the joys that you have for us, believing and expecting good when we follow you, your will, your way, your design. In Jesus' name, amen.